From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Thursday edition. Today, uh, I'm pleased to announce that after, after months of tough and thoughtful negotiations, I think we have an historic, I know we have a historic economic framework. That was President Biden earlier today after meeting with Democrats on Capitol Hill. They have a framework. What's included in that framework? And can they construct a real bill that can pass from that framework? We'll talk with Florida Congressman Byron Donalds, a member of the House Budget Committee, in just a moment. And the president wanted the deal done before he meets with the leaders from nearly 200 countries in Scotland for the 26th annual UN Conference on Climate Change, which starts on Monday. President Biden said the climate provisions in the Build Government Bigger Plan will represent, quote, the most significant investments to address the climate crisis ever and will truly transform this nation, end quote. Unfortunately, I believe him. What climate provisions will be in the final bill? Oklahoma Congressman Kevin Hearn joins me. I'll also ask him what we can expect from this climate confab in Scotland. Yesterday, Senator Marsha Blackburn joined us to talk about her Keeping Our COVID-19 Heroes Employed Act. The number of that bill, as we talked about yesterday, we didn't have the number today. We have the number. It's Senate Bill 3079. 3079. To underscore the need for this bill, the New York City Fire Department announced yesterday they were going to have to shutter probably 20% of their fire companies as a COVID shot mandate deadline of November the 1st approaches. The New York City Police Department could also lose a quarter of their 36,000 officers. Now, this scenario is being played out in other cities across the nation as well. I'll talk with Larry Cosme. He is uh, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. Speaking of COVID, the federal government is refusing to acknowledge or even study natural immunity. So others are. Dr. Marty McCary, professor at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, is here to tell us about it. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, it's all archived right there at TonyPerkins.com. All right, as I mentioned earlier today, before heading off for his upcoming global summits, President Biden announced a new framework for his Build Government Bigger Plan, which was the, the best he could do with uh, various factions of the Democratic caucus still engaged in their inter-party war over the liberal spending spree. And as he repeatedly claimed, the president again insisted that his plan is fully paid for. Quote, he said not only that, but it will also reduce the deficit. As I said before, these plans are fiscally responsible. They are fully paid for. They don't add a single penny to the deficit. They don't raise taxes on anyone making less than $400,000 a year. In fact, they reduce the deficit. Really? Will Americans buy that? Well, with me now to talk about the new framework and what might be in the final bill is uh, Congressman Byron Donalds. He represents the 19th Congressional District of the state of Florida. He is a member of the House Budget Committee and on the uh, House Committee on Oversight and Reform, as well as the House Committee on Small Business. Congressman Donalds, welcome to Washington Watch. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. So first of all, what do you make of the president's framework? What is going to be in that framework? Uh, listen, honestly, Tony, that's a, that's a question we're all asking. Um, they literally just started releasing text 
maybe 20 minutes ago. Nobody really knows what's actually in this bill. Um, the last thing that we've heard that is actually going to somewhat make the cut is going to be uh, free child care, a one-year continuation of the child tax credit. Uh, but all of the quote-unquote pay-fors, which is basically just tax increases, that's what they call you know pay-fors here in D.C., uh, it remains to be seen what's going to make the final cut. The problem that Democrats have is that their massive spending is unpopular. Nobody wants to see tax increases in a time where inflation is run rampant. We're not creating nearly the amount of jobs that we should be. We're not growing nearly as fast as we should be. And so nobody wants to sign on for tax increases. Nobody wants to sign on for massive spending, except for the radical progressives that exist in the Democrat Party. And they're trying to push all this through. While at the same time, GDP numbers are coming out and they're looking terribly bad. And the president's trying to have a political win before he go meets with other leaders in Scotland. Um, when the reality is uh, the Chinese and the Russians don't care about what's happening in Scotland. What's the time frame? I mean, you said that 20 minutes ago you got the text of the bill. How rapidly is Nancy Pelosi going to try to push this through? It's still not clear. It's not even clear if they have the votes for this. And that's the problem we have. Also in the background, you have the gubernatorial election in Virginia, where Democrats are running scared as we speak that Glenn Youngkin is going to become the next governor of Virginia. And so they're all looking at the political landscape as well as trying to pass through some of the agenda items they've always wanted. So the timetable right now is unknown in Washington, D.C. The only one that really knows that is Nancy Pelosi. Congressman Donalds, let me ask you this question. The president claiming today that this wasn't going to add a single penny to the deficit. In fact, it would reduce the deficit. Can you tell me how? Oh, no, he's lying. There's, there's no possible way this doesn't add to the deficit. Look, even the original proposal, what they were doing was they would start a program for two years and then end it. Uh, child tax credit in the new proposal is for a one-year extension, and then they end it. What the Democrats are trying to set up are annual votes on child tax credit. They're trying to set up new votes on paid family medical leave because they don't believe that Republicans will do the right thing and get rid of those programs once and for all. If you looked at the 10-year run of what those programs would do, it would add $13 trillion to the debt. And the fact that the Democrats' only plan is to raise taxes, what we know what happens historically, when you raise taxes, the government gets less money than they think they were going to get originally. And then when you take something like the Trump tax cuts, where Democrats will tell you time and time again, it added $2 trillion to the deficit. That is actually a lie. The Trump tax cuts have raised more money than Washington has ever raised in tax revenue than at any other point in American history. If you were going to tell Americans that Trump's tax policy raised more money than at any other point in American history, how does that actually add to our deficit? So when Joe Biden runs out there and says that these programs will actually decrease our deficit and our debts, he is lying to you. Um, but let's just be perfectly honest. The, pre the president's never had a job. He's never had to balance a, a, a company's balance sheet. He's probably never had to balance his own checkbook. He doesn't know what he's talking about. What are you hearing among the, the Democratic members? I mean, you've got the progressive wing that wants uh, more socialist goodies in this. And now we've, we're talking about a package that's been trimmed back from $3.5 to $1.75 to $2 trillion. We're not certain exactly what the number is. Is there a lot of uh, inter-party fighting among Democrats? Oh, big time. There's big time fighting up here on Capitol Hill amongst Democrats. The moderate members, frankly, don't want to take this vote. I know they're trying to beat 
you know, team players or whatever that means. But the reality is they don't want to take this vote. The progressive members still want to go back $3.5 trillion. What I'm hearing is that they might settle for these programs to run for a shorter amount of time. And I stress this, shrinking the dollar amount of this package is not them getting rid of programs. I think the only thing that's really come out of it is community college funding um, and maybe one of the Medicare proposals. That's it. Everything else is just shrinking the time that these programs are going to be authorized to be uh, to be spending money. But what that really means is that in future uh, years in Congress, the Democrats will push votes in order to reauthorize the spending. And that's how this thing gets ballooned out of control. So whether it's one point seven five trillion or three point five trillion, if you run these programs over 10 years, which is how Washington always budgets its money, then you're talking about five and a half trillion dollars every decade. It will add 13 trillion dollars to our debt over time. That's the real math. Those are the facts. That's an extremely important point to make is that it, and I'm, I'm looking at some of uh, again, this is speculation because I haven't seen the text of the bill. I'm going off of what the president said earlier. But you're right. It's just uh, setting uh, expiration dates, which we know, as you mentioned earlier, uh, a program never goes away. And the Democrats know that all they need to do is get this into the bill, get it established. It has a constituency and rarely does a program ever go away. So you're absolutely right. The size of this in terms of dollar amount doesn't really matter. That's not where our eyes should be. Our eyes should be on what's actually in the bill, the programs that it creates and expands. That You got it exactly right. Couldn't have said any better myself. Let me ask you, as the president, I had to chuckle when, uh, when he said this. I, I chuckle. I, I say chuckle. I should probably cry. Uh, but he says, he said this today, he said, quote, we are at an inflection point. The rest of the world wonders whether we can function. So does spending money and growing government bigger, is, is that the evidence of the ability of government to function? Uh, that's only in the mind of Joe Biden and progressive Democrats. Look, what the rest of the world is looking at when it comes to the United States is, number one, are we actually going to get our fiscal house in order? Or are we going to continue down this sophomoric line of just promising everything to everybody and spending money we don't have? The countries that love for us to do stuff like this are the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, and the North Koreans. The North Koreans, excuse me. They love this. This is great. Because what America is doing is diminishing ourselves internally, which means we're taking our eye off the ball which, uh, on a, from a geopolitical standpoint. So they love this. To our allies in Europe, what they're wondering is, is are we going to get serious about the world stage and be able to continue to support their military needs in decades to come? And they have serious questions as well. Joe Biden is an old school politician who's trying to create a legacy. The radical Democrats have been waiting for an opportunity to have their chance at the, at the levers of power in Washington, D.C. for frankly 100 years. And now they have an opportunity to push their agenda but that's not what most Americans want. Frankly, unless you're an adversary of ours, that's not what most of the world wants. And so we have some serious thinking to do, not just in Washington, D.C., but regular Americans everywhere. What is the trajectory of our country? Do we want to have a strong economic engine? Do we still want to have a strong military? Do we want to be the singular economic and, and economic and military power in the world? 
or do we want to be a subservient nation to the Chinese industrial uh, complex and the Chinese military complex? Do we want to be another socialized Western European democracy that basically can't get out of its own way, is mired in bureaucracy, is mired in debt, where we continue to fall behind year after year after year? That is the question in front of every American. So with respect to what Joe Biden said earlier today, I'll agree in one respect. This is a tipping point, and we need to make sure we don't tip over the edge because we have a country to save. Well said. Uh, Very probing question. I think you're absolutely right. It's not just a question that we should contemplate here in Washington, D.C., but Americans across the board need to ask that question. What do we want to be as a country? Uh, Very quickly, uh, we got about 30 seconds left, uh, Congressman Donalds. What can we do to help this intra-party fighting among Democrats? Because I'd love to see them just kind of squabble until the clock runs out. Well, listen, the real game, unfortunately, in D.C. is held in two Senate offices. It's the office of Kirsten Sinema and Joe Biden. So I would have your listeners call them and please ask them kindly to not support this deal. I get that they're getting all the pressure from Democrats who want to show that they can govern, whatever that means. But these implications are real for the American people, whether you're liberal or conservative, Republican or Democrat. We need to have a sound country and a sound economy going forward. And this plan will destroy that. Congressman, great to have you on the program. Look forward to talking to you again real soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. All right. Congressman Byron Daniels, uh, Donalds of uh, Florida. All right. Coming up, uh, President Biden will join nearly 200 leaders from other countries uh, starting next Monday on a U.N. climate change conference in Scotland. What might we expect to come out of that confab on the climate? We'll talk with Congressman Kevin Hearn next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and the truth of God's Word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2808. Have you ever chased a dog? Ahsoka, our grandchildren's dog, likes to run and explore. She is daring and she is impetuous. Many parents have children who love to do the same as Ahsoka. They like to challenge life. Parents may become exhausted from the chase. And I'll tell you what, often it is easier to just give in and let them run free. God cares when we try to run free. He has a path that is clear and is safe if we will only follow it. So listen to Psalm 119, verse 10. 
Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Parent, never wonder if God cares how you parent. Do not grow weary. It's hard to be attentive to all the challenges your children face. They are bombarded with pressure to wander off, challenge, explore, and dare to test the boundaries. Don't we do the same thing to God? Show your children that learning and living in God's Word is the best way to keep them from wandering off. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace at HopeForTheHome.org. The ministry of Preborn is the ultimate life support, helping moms in crisis choose life. I definitely would have gone down the wrong road and probably would not have given my son life if they had not been there to support me. From giving me the ultrasound to throwing a baby shower, and they went out and they got churches to cover my bills. They helped me through so much. It was just incredible. Preborn centers are the ultimate life support for moms in crisis across America, providing hope, love, and free ultrasounds. He's 10 and he's my little angel. Preborn clinics are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in the United States. Would you join with Preborn in rescuing babies? One ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, President Joe Biden is heading to Rome for this weekend's G20 summit, where leaders of the world's wealthiest nations will discuss the pandemic climate change and issues that they say will move the global economy forward. He'll then make his way to the UN Climate uh, Confab in Scotland, uh, where roughly about leaders from 200 nations will be there. Uh, So even with all the crises that the U.S. is facing, it is sure to bet that uh, the climate uh, is going to be front and center in both of these meetings for President Biden. Now, with his uh, Build Government Bigger plan in jeopardy, what might the president be bringing to the tables over the next several days? What's he going to focus on? Uh, What is going to actually be in the framework of this bill that deals with climate? Joining me now to talk about this is Congressman Kevin Hearn. He's the chairman of the RSC Budget and Spending Task Force and a member of the Ways and Means Committee. He represents the 1st Congressional District of the Sooner State. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony. It's great to see you. Good to see you. It was good to see you yesterday on Capitol Hill. I just spoke with uh, one of your colleagues, uh, Congressman Donalds, Byron Donalds of uh, Florida. Um, we were talking about the president's, um, you know, the framework for the Build Government Bigger plan, which I like to call it. Uh, what is going to be in there as it pertains to the climate? Do you have any idea? Well, Tony, it's um, what we saw just a minute ago. I was actually just in a rules hearing just a few minutes ago, listening to what they had to say. And uh, I got to tell you, it's it's um, it's pretty scary. Uh, they want just basically five hundred billion dollars to do what they think will be right after the fact. Uh, as you have been hearing and seeing, they don't have any of the language written yet. Um, what we know right now is that President Biden is uh, jaunted off across the ocean to hang out with energy elitists uh, that want to do nothing more than destroy our manufacturing jobs, our fossil fuel here in America, and send those jobs to uh, to China and, and to places in the Asian world. All the while, our energy producers here in this country are the only uh, 
Western civilized nations uh, that are around the world that have actually lowered CO2 emissions over the decades, only to see these jobs continue to go to China and to India, where they've doubled and tripled uh, their CO2 emissions. So it's a lot of hypocrisy from the Democrats. You know, just uh, last year, I, I, I started this award for the Friends of the Fossil Fuels, and my first recipient was John Kerry because as he was talking about saving uh, the world from uh, overheating, he was jaunting around the world in his private jet. And so just tremendous hypocrisy. Well, we, uh, you know a little bit about fossil fuels, being from Oklahoma. Uh, I, I grew up there as well, and it's, it's important to the economy, but it's important to the United States uh, as a whole. Now, in the earlier versions of this proposal, this was going to force Americans to, uh, to reduce their uh, fossil fuel consumption by about 40% over the next eight years, shifting to renewable sources uh, like wind and, uh, and solar. Um, is that going to happen? Is that, I mean, is this going to further strangle our economy? Well, it is. And I, I served two years on the Natural Resource Committee before coming over to Ways and Means. And the thing that was really frustrating about it was that uh, they talk about, you know, destroying the fossil fuel production in our country. Uh, we saw that with Joe Biden's first action as president, uh, destroying the, the future uh, of the Keystone XL pipeline and just shutting down really high paying jobs in America. But what we also hear them say is how important electric vehicles are, uh, again, to demonstrate the hypocrisy. All of the minerals that are needed to generate and manufacture the, the battery components are mined uh, cobalt, for example, or mined with child labor in the Congo, and where about 90 percent of it is. And then about 90 percent of the refining process is in China. So all we're doing is continuing to support the Chinese economy when we need to be supporting the American jobs and quit sending these overseas and forcing what's going on. You know, there's there's been talk that in this 500 billion, there's somewhere around 100 billion. We know that in the infrastructure bill, as an example, that we're still waiting to see when that's going to hit the floor, uh, is $177 billion of American taxpayer money being spent on 500,000 charging stations around America. Right. Actually more than they're gonna actually spend on roads and bridges in the infrastructure bill, which is, again, hypocrisy. And we're giving uh, people making up to $800,000 a year electric vehicle credits. And I have one gentleman that's in the private uh, uh, charging station business. He said, I know this is going to sound strange, but why are we incentivizing something that's supposed to be good for America? Americans should be taking it if it's so good. Uh, but the Democrats have doubled down on that. Uh, before this bill, there's a $7,500 credit and there was a cap and now they've removed the cap. And they've also uh, incentivized those cars to be made in union shops. So, you know, you see Tesla's score, our sales going through the roof. Um, they got to love all this, these government subsidies going out there. And uh, American people are seeing that. It's, it's really frustrating. American taxpayer dollars are just being tremendously wasted. You mentioned China. China one of the, is the most uh, polluting nation. Uh, on the face of the earth. In fact, they continue to build their coal-fired power plants while we're reducing uh, our fossil fuels, driving up our energy costs. I mean, it, it makes absolutely no sense. Well, what uh, the American people need to know is that China is actually executing our coal-fired uh, energy plant policies that we had back in the 70s. They're opening a new uh, coal-fired plant every month uh, across China. And, uh, you know, if we go back and think about the 70s and uh, some of the issues we had here, and again, American technology 
Uh, we, we figured out how to burn cleaner coal, how to move to natural gas, which is the our natural gas here that uh, we drill, drill for here in America, is the cleanest burning in the world. So if the Democrats truly wanted to help the world, uh, CO2 emissions, methane emissions, they would allow our producers here in the great states like Oklahoma and Texas and the Midwest um, drill for natural gas and send it uh, to all these countries around the world, like China, right. like we were doing prior to uh, prior to this administration. Right. And, we, and the thing about that is, uh, we know from an economic standpoint, it's great for American workers. We saw our economy, what's going on. And uh, again, it's insane what we're seeing right now with this administration. For the first time in decades, we were a uh, exporter of energy. Yeah. Uh, now we're going to be dependent upon uh, foreign energy once again. Congressman, uh, great to have you on the program. Good to talk with you again. Great to see you, Tony. All right, take care. Congressman Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma represents the 1st Congressional District, which is uh, the area around Tulsa. All right, we're going to be following uh, next week this uh, global climate confab because what it is it's just it's a global redistribution of wealth we're going to talk about that next week because a lot of this is just giving money away to uh, to other countries all right stick with us we're going to be talking about the vaccine mandate and its impact on first responders next don't go away making the most of your money here's dan celia on american family radio ford motor beat expectations big time and raising yearly guidance on new vehicle demand. And by the way, Ford also reinstating their dividend. They're feeling very, very bullish. This after spending $3 billion on an electric car plant and a battery plant. For doing very well. This was a big move and a good thing for them. I only wish they were biblically responsible, and they are not, unfortunately. California readies 4,000 sites to administer 1.2 million COVID shots to kids five years old to 11. This is insanity, but I expect... Californians will be lining their children up to get injected with an unproven substance. And this is the largest medical experiment in the history of the nation on children. This is the testing site, these children. It's going to be sad to see. It looks like Medicare and paid leave are big sticking points for the Democrats rushing this bill to the finish line to get some of Biden's spending plan done as soon as possible and before there's any more scrutiny on the bill. We'll see what the rest of the week brings. I'm sure it's going to be interesting. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, earlier today, thousands of New York City workers made their last stand protesting Mayor Bill de Blasio's vaccine mandate in front of the mayor's home, uh, city workers, that includes firemen, police 
officers, sanitation workers, have until November the 1st in the Big Apple to have a COVID shot. And with just 68% of the New York firefighters and 73% of New York police officers uh, vaccinated, the ultimatum could spell trouble for the city. And of course, New York City is not alone. Last week, hundreds of protesters in San Diego gathered with firefighters and police officers who opposed the city's vaccine mandate for first responders. Uh, And earlier this week, officers in the Windy City rallied outside Chicago police headquarters saying they are ready to go on no pay status for not complying with their city's uh, shot mandate. You know, is, is this really what the people of America want? I mean, given the fact that we are seeing historic rises a historic rise in violent crime murder rates across the country. Is this what we want? We want to decrease the police force? Well, joining me now to talk about this is Larry Cosme. He is the president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. Larry, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Um, What have you been hearing from officers in different parts of the country regarding various city mandates? They are very concerned, and uh, the concern lies because these essential workers were relied upon to make split-second decisions to maximize public health and and safety throughout our nation. And now they're saying that essential workers are not equipped to make these well-reasoned decisions for their own health and safety with, uh, you know, and to them it's demeaning and demoralizing. You know, in one instance you could trust the essential workers to make split-second decisions to protect the communities that they're serving. And now they can't make decisions, uh, decisions well-reasoned with their own family doctors to make their own decisions. So that's, that's, it's pretty disheartening. So, so, Larry, I have to think it's like whiplash. I mean, 18 months ago, they were heroes uh, because they were going to work in the midst of a pandemic, and, uh, and now they're being treated as villains. That is correct. And I have actually, in, in some of my uh, press interviews and, and news releases, I've actually stated that, that they're trying to villainize these individuals that essentially were out there on the front lines and, and tackling the pandemic. And, and at the time, there, were, there, were, there was no vaccination in, in, in play yet. And then when the vaccination became available, they were, they were provided the vaccination. But, you know, in certain instances, we actually had to advocate to make sure that these individuals had the, va- the availability of the voluntary vaccine. And that's we as an organization have always advocated for that. Yeah. We've advocated for a vaccination. Sure. I mean, I, and, and I support vaccination for those that want to get it. Those are in high risk categories. But I would imagine yes. that many of these first responders, uh, and I'm a former police officer, I'm involved still with uh, law enforcement, uh, a lot of friends still in the business. A lot of them yes. were exposed to COVID and they have natural immunity. That is correct, and, and it, that's another thing that we're arguing uh, as an organ. I'm the leader of the organization. I am arguing that that they should provide these individuals what's called reasonable accommodations, and and that's not being adhered to, or they're they're slow at rolling at rolling it out, or they're giving like deadlines for the vaccination instead of giving them the opportunity to to come forward with a reasonable accommodation, whether they have the immunity because they had the the COVID nineteen or they have an underlying reason why they do not want to get this vaccination or a religious exemption. You know, we have to honor that and, and respect that. So what's going to happen? Will these cities, I mean, when you, this is an issue of public safety. 
Um, I, I mean, yes. I, I, I just can't imagine, given the backdrop of the, of the rise in crime that we've witnessed in the last year, that these mayors, uh, in most cases mayors, some kind of governors, that they're going to hold firm on this and, and fire these first responders. I, I, I think I believe that they had not thought this out properly because it is an issue that our members are concerned about uh, because crime is at an all time high. The 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 police are not adequately supply. You know, they don't have the adequate personnel to tackle the crime rate that's out there right now. So you imagine with 30 to 40 percent less officers on the street or agents, that's going to be a major problem for our country. Because we're already, we've gone through the defund the police movement where a lot of guys have gone on and retired or chosen other professions. And so we're already, I know most agencies that I've spoken to are already at a deficit when it comes to personnel. This is only going to make the matter uh, worse. It's going to amplify the matter. In fact, that's a great point you highlighted. Through attrition because of retirement, in a lot of the, the jurisdictions throughout the country, whether it's federal, state, or local law enforcement, you got, you're going to have officers are just going to say, listen, you know what? You know, I just, I had the time and service. I'm out. I'm out. You know, I, I don't want to tolerate this where the government's trying to mandate something, you know, and, and they're, they're not going to give me the ability to consult with my own family physician. Uh, very quickly, we're up against a break, Larry, but any, any prospect of the courts intervening here? There are several cases that are, are going through the courts now. Some constitutional lawyers have reached out and I've, I've consulted with them. And there, there's a p- potential for an injunction that, that, that might be upheld uh, soon. There's a few lawyers out there that are, have some really good cases related to the actual folks that have had COVID-19. All right. Uh, Larry, thanks so much for joining us. We'll, uh, we'll continue to track this and uh, have you back on when we have more developments. Uh, thank you, Mr. Perkins. Have a beautiful evening. Thank you. All right, you, you too. Larry Cosby. Uh, by the way, this is another reason to support the uh, Senate Bill 3079, which is the bill we talked about yesterday uh, with uh, Senator Marshall Blackburn, Keep Our COVID-19 Heroes Employed Act. All right, coming up next, uh, talking about natural immunity, the federal government doesn't acknowledge it, nor are they studying it. So a team of researchers at Johns Hopkins uh, Medical School is looking into this. We're going to be joined by Dr. Marty McCary next to tell us all about it. Don't go away. For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the Word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans. It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans. He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Too busy to catch your favorite shows on the radio? Have no fear, because the AFR app is here. Download the app to have access to live broadcast 
music streaming, as well as each podcast. Whether you're at work, at home, or on the go, it's easy to listen to AFR. The AFR app is available not only for Apple and Android users, but also on Amazon Alexa and Roku. Download the AFR app today at AFR.net. Today's culture is opting for entertainment rather than biblical enlightenment. For those who resist that trend, Friends of Israel shows listeners why loving the Jewish people and supporting Israel is important to the Christian faith. Friends of Israel shares biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah and promotes solidarity with the Jewish people. This is Chris Katolka of the Friends of Israel Today radio program heard each weekend on this station, and here's what's happening in Israel. Friends of Israel, Saturday afternoon at 2, here on American Family Radio. Hi, I'm John Sorensen, president of Evangelism Explosion, and this is Share Life Today on American Family Radio. Witnessing doesn't have to be scary. As we approach Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, holiday gatherings will occur, and therefore, gospel opportunities will arise. Now, I realize that may be a bit scary. I mean, don't let these opportunities intimidate you. Instead, have a game plan for your next holiday gathering. Luke 12, verse 12 says this, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So be open to see opportunities as they come and be willing to use your words to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit will guide you. Just be willing to speak and prepare to share. This may mean taking an online gospel training course like we offer with Go2020. It may mean brushing up on tools that you've already learned. Preparing in advance and looking for opportunities will surely lead to fruitful gospel conversations. For free online training, visit sharelife.today. That's sharelife.today. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, it's been since May when the CDC last reported the number of uh, COVID infections in the U.S., the number of people who actually have been infected, at least the numbers that they were aware of. Now, why is this information not being shared with the American public? Why is natural immunity not being considered in the various mandates that we see moving across the country, including the federal mandate that uh, the Biden administration is pushing forward? Now, is the government maybe studying this issue and they're going to let us know what they have found later? I don't know. But there is a team at Johns Hopkins Medical Center, uh, School of Medicine, that uh, is leading a long-term study on natural immunity. And uh, needless to say, finding volunteers was not a problem. Joining me now to talk about this study is Dr. Marty McCary. He's a professor at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and a School of Public Health. Uh, Dr. McCary, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you, Tony. Uh, First of all, let me ask you this question. Why is the CDC not res- reporting information on infection rates? And in, I mean, how, ma- how many people have had the COVID virus? Well, there's two potential reasons. One is they don't want to know the results because if you go out there and say natural immunity is durable, one, you have acknowledging you made a terrible mistake when you hedged the other direction. The other possibility why they're not looking at this is it's just an old school mentality that uh, they dug into their position and they're holding to that position. And finally, it undermines the vaccinate every single American with two feet uh, edict. And many say that's a simple message we have to stick with. Anything that gets in the way of that message, be it natural immunity, therapeutics, 
threatens that message. And I think we just need to be honest, let the scientific process go. I'm all for that. I mean, I'm all for the science because um, if the science works and we do it right, we're better off for it. Um, But I think when you start short-circuiting the process or you don't put all the facts on the table, people have a hard time making informed decisions. Uh, so with that in mind, is the, is the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, is the FDA, is anybody actually, and the federal government, looking at the impact or the effect of natural immunity? Not really. I mean, not with a real solid effort. For example, they've got between the NIH and the CDC $50 billion and 30,000 employees. Why not identify some volunteers who had the infection 19 months ago, say in New York City, and test their blood and report out and let us know what those antibody levels are? Why does my research team have to identify this massive gap in science, this massive failure by our government to do basic research, and then we take on the project? We decide that we're going to do the study. So we've got not 30,000 employees, but I've got about eight staff, and we're launching the largest longitudinal durability study of natural immunity ever done. It's very doable, so we're taking this on. Now, we'll see what the results show. We have to be open to any result that it may show. The results will be forthcoming in the next several weeks, but so do our public health officials. They need to be honest and open to the results as well. They've got also incredible data on lab tests people who test positive a second time months down the road or longer that is data they've not disclosed and that's a tragedy that's data that answers questions everyday americans have right now so dr mccary what do you hope to accomplish with your uh, study of natural immunity what what you hope will come from it well we've got soldiers who have been dishonorably discharged because they've chosen not to get the vaccine, and they have natural immunity from circulating antibodies. They deserve an answer as to whether or not that immunity is in fact real and durable. And so we want to provide them an answer. We've got OB nurses that have, who have been fired after being heroes early in the pandemic. The American people deserve to know the science on natural immunity. And now that we can study it, we should be studying it. So that's what we want to do is give people more information so they can make their own personal choices. Forever, this entire pandemic, I've been arguing publicly with Dr. Fauci for for at least a year when he says natural immunity is uncertain, it's unreliable, it's unknown, and we don't know about it. Well, study it. Here's the data. Let's take a look at it, and let's not make this an argument. Let's use the scientific method. I mean, I think if our is, do we still have a goal of trying to get to this point of herd immunity or with the, with this Delta strain, is that off the table now? Well, herd immunity is um, less of a binary thing. It's, it's not really a finish line. It's more when we see significant slowing of the spread. And it, the, the bar changed with Delta. We were in a good spot late spring and early summer, as you remember. But Delta really changed that. And that's why deaths are higher this year probably than last year. Delta is very contagious. So there is a number out there, probably 90% or higher of the population. Maybe we've achieved that now in Texas and Florida and other parts of the country. 
that are seeing significant declines or maybe they're close to it, it doesn't mean COVID will be eradicated. And I think it's important for people to remember that we're not going to get to an elimination of the virus. We're going to get to lower levels where we can at least get back to some more normal activity. Right, it, it manageable, where we can manage it when we, with our health infrastructure delivery system. Um, so, as a policymaker, uh, as a former policymaker, I'm going to put my I'm going to put myself in the position of a policymaker that's wanting to make decisions based upon the facts when it comes to whether it's the policies of schools, whether you mentioned the military, whether or not we should require uh, every uh, member of the military to, to receive this shot. Would, we, would it not be helpful to have all the facts on the table to, to be able to see that, all right, natural immunity is as effective, or I've read reports that says it has greater effectiveness against the Delta variant. Um, wouldn't that be helpful to know? I think so, Tony. You know, parents right now are trying to decide that they should get their kids 5 through 11 vaccinated when it gets green-lighted next week. And this is useful information. If they had COVID before, wouldn't it be helpful for a parent to know that natural immunity at almost two years is solid and effective or it's yeah. ineffective and there's no antibodies? That is data that we can get that we don't have. And I think it would be helpful for people. You know, the only data the CDC put out on natural immunity was a two-month study in one state of Kentucky. And they said, oh, natural immunity doesn't work. Vaccines are better. And we looked at the study. We took a really careful look at this study. It was a sham study. It was jerry-rigged. Why were they only reporting a two-week, two-month window in one state when they've got data on 19 months from all 50 states? They were fishing for the results they wanted. And by the way, both groups, the vaccinated and the placebo and the natural immunity groups, had infection rates less than 0.01% in their study. So it was dishonest. It was manipulative. And it shows their true stripes, but they don't want to see the data that doesn't favor their policy either. Dr. McCary, as we look at the, this policy that uh, we have currently, where it is this, um, everybody gets a, uh, everybody gets a shot. Uh, our policy, everyone's vaccinated. Is that because it's easier to manage or is there something else behind this? Well, I've had very senior scientists in the United States tell me, look, stop talking about natural immunity because people are going to choose not to get vaccinated then. And it's easier and more streamlined to have a simple vaccinate everybody message. And I think we just need to be honest with the public because right now public trust is at an all-time low. People don't trust the public health guidance, and this is why. They're smart enough to know. We don't see people get infected after natural immunity and get seriously ill, intubated, and die. We don't see deaths after previous infection with rare exceptions. And people are smart enough to know the clinical observation on the ground is that natural immunity is effective. Why are the public health officials in total denial of this basic observation? Based upon, you, you mentioned that uh, next week probably get a gr- green light for the uh, shots for tots, you know, the 5 to 11 getting the, uh, uh, the vaccine or the shot. Do you, do you foresee a, a mandate coming from, maybe not from the federal level, but from, we're already seeing it in California. Do you see that's going to spread once this uh, vaccine is uh, green lighted? 
Well, gosh, I, I always am leery of the fact that folks say, oh, we're not going to move to a mandate, and then lo and behold, you see a mandate. So I do worry about that because we've already seen it in California. California's already said kids need a vaccine to go back to school. Well, guess what? There's going to be unintended harm when you vaccinate kids who don't need to be vaccinated because they have natural immunity. There is a risk of complications after the vaccine. And if the kid has a comorbidity that is a pre-existing medical condition, it's clear to me they should still get vaccinated because those are the kids who get into trouble with COVID, kids with pre-existing conditions, including obesity. If the kid right. is, has natural immunity, you don't need to get vaccinated. If the kid is totally healthy, it's a parent's choice and it may favor vaccination, but I, we need to respect parents who are concerned about vaccine complications which have not been really adequately described. Now, you had looked at this previously among the youth and the uh, infection rate and, and the vulnerability, the risk level for youth was very, very low. Uh, has that changed significantly? Or are we still looking at a very low infection rate and a very high recovery rate for those that get it among the uh, younger population? So last year, about 300 kids died of COVID, and we think nearly all of them had a comorbid condition. This year, about another 400 kids have died of COVID. And again, we think nearly all of them had had a comorbid condition. The CDC won't tell us how many of those kids were healthy. I think that information will be useful. So if your kid is healthy, you may want to consider one dose. You may want to space out the two doses. In my opinion, nobody, nobody kid or adult should be getting two doses three or four weeks apart. They should be getting them three months apart where the immunity is then stronger and the complication rates are lower. But our old guard medical establishment is too rigid to change guidance after they issue it with an FDA rubber stamp. Uh, final question for you, Dr. McCary. Um, your study, you, how long before you think you'll have some results to report? If I had to guess, I would say maybe four to six weeks. Uh, I will post it on social media. I'll be out there talking about it. I'll be talking about it on Fox and Friends this Saturday morning. But we won't have results until about, if I had to guess, four to six weeks from now. Happy to keep you posted in, in the loop on it, Tony. Do you think that that could have some influence on the CDC and others who are making policy as it pertains to the uh, mandates? If our study shows that natural immunity is solid and durable, which it may and it may not show, we'll see, then it, it will help us create a more flexible vaccine requirement. Because if we would have used a more flexible vaccine mandate, we would have been in a much better situation. We wouldn't have all these layoffs and police officers not on the beat and supply chain problems and a polarization against public health. All we needed to do is use a more flexible policy and we chose not to do it. If you uh, saw the New York Times opinion piece uh, this week, um, it said, hey, we need to start acknowledging natural immunity. So even the old guard mainstream media, which has given a platform to this small oligarchy of doctors that have said, ignore natural immunity, even they're starting to bend now and recognize we gotta be more flexible. 
Well, more flexible, more transparent in, in treating the American people like adults and having conversations with them and letting them make decisions based upon what their, their doctors recommend, not what the, the government is demanding. Yeah, doctors and pediatricians are very good about going over all these issues with individual patients. Let them have a conversation about the risks and benefits and their unique situation, concerns, and goals. And let's let that be the place where medications are recommended. I agree. That's better there than in Washington, D.C. They don't do much good of administering anything here. Uh, Dr. McCary, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Always great to talk with you. Good talking with you, Tony. Thanks so much. All right. Uh, I look forward to the results of that, whatever they may be. I just think it's important that all of the facts are on the table. Maybe these mandates for vaccines are easier to manage, and that's why they're pushing this, or maybe it's uh, conditioning. I think it's a combination of both. And, you know, again, I want to be very clear. I'm not anti-vaccination. In fact, I just got a flu shot last week. Um, But I've had the COVID, and so I see no need based on the risk I see no need to get it. I think every individual should be able to make that decision based upon their own situation. Weigh the risk. If you're in a high-risk category, I encourage you to talk to your doctor, and if they say get it, you should get it. But I do not believe we should be forced and conditioned for the government to make these kind of decisions for us. I think it's it's important that we support those who are standing up, support our first responders – law enforcement, medical workers uh, that are uh, pushing back on these mandates. All right, folks, we're out of time. Always great to have you with us. I encourage you to check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.